Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everyone, and happy almost holidays to everyone. If you are celebrating Christmas, it is quickly coming upon us. Am I ready? No, I most certainly am not. Have I bought all the gifts for people in my life? No, barely even gotten started. So the next few days are gonna be interesting for me. And I've got a lot of fun, exciting things going on in the world right now and with this podcast. I have a little special feminist miss giveaway, I guess you could call it special. And for anyone who joins either of the Patreon levels, either the Angry Feminist Book Club or the Feminist Faves level, will receive a little message and handmade gift from yours truly when you join Patreon between officially Monday, December 25th and January 1st. But anyone who has previously joined, joins right now, or joins anytime before the first of the year, you will all be receiving a special little gift in the mail. I'm feeling festive, I'm feeling giving, and you all give to me all year round, and I wanted to be especially thankful for you all in return. And to join Patreon, you can either click on that link in the show notes, click on the link in the bio on Instagram, or you can just go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist and join whichever level suits your fancy. I truly do appreciate all of the donations to the show, and I hope that you all have enjoyed the content of this year. For those of you who are still waiting with bated breath for the Bell Jar episodes to drop, this week has been interesting. As some of you might know from listening to the past couple of episodes, I've been house-sitting, so I've had to kind of drive back and forth between E's house, the girl that I nanny for, who I'm house-sitting for, and coming back to my apartment to use the computer and the recording space and all of that kind of stuff. So I've been a little bit hectic going all around, and also now there are some things in my personal life that is also taking me away from my work time on that episode. Unfortunately, Max's grandmother had not been doing very well and very early this morning I'm recording on Thursday we unfortunately lost grandma Julie so I will be spending a little bit more time with Max and his family and doing anything that I can to make sure that I can support them during this time and be the best fiance daughter-in-law that I can possibly be But luckily for you, I don't have a lot of plans for the holidays, so I still will be able to get some work done over the next few days, and I just really appreciate all of your patience. This is a prime example as to why I'm not doing the book club anymore, because I just go so deep into it, and I end up doing so much research. It takes a really long time to actually get the episodes done, and I end up shooting myself in the foot every single time. So starting in 2024, instead of the Angry Feminist Book Club, the 
$5 level will be Mad Gabin with Madigan, where I will be sharing advice, answering questions, rambling on even more, having a great time with all of you. So feel free to start sending me in any of your questions or needs for advice whenever you want. I do want to set up a more organized space to receive all of those. But for the meantime, you can email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. And with that, I am somewhat dedicating this episode to Grandma Julie. Grandma Julie was not a listener of this show. I have no idea what her political affiliations were, but she's on my mind today and she deserves some dedication. And I'm thinking of you, Grandma Julie. Oh, goodness. All right. Other than that, I don't know. So let's just get into this week's topics. The first thing that I wanted to get into was Trump being kicked off of the ballot in the state of Colorado. Some of you may heard this, and there's a lot of information about it that's out there, but a lot of people are misunderstanding what this means. So I really wanted to do my best to understand what this means for Colorado, what it means for the rest of the country, what it means for Trump, so on and so forth. So this is what I've learned. On Tuesday evening, Colorado's Supreme Court handed down a decision holding that the former president, Donald Trump, is disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Because of this, Trump's name will not appear on the ballot in Colorado for the 2024 presidential election. The 14th Amendment prohibits former high-ranking government officials who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion, that is a quote, against the Constitution from serving office ever again. The court determined that Trump's incitement of the attack of the Capitol on January 6, 2021, meets the Constitution's definition of insurrection. This is great, and by doing this, Colorado is showcasing its statehood power by making this decision. When you think of it in terms of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court is leaving it up to the states to determine whether or not abortion should be allowed and in what capacity. And that's exactly what's happening now, but with the case of Donald Trump's presidency. Colorado decided that by their understanding of the Constitution, Trump should not be eligible for re-election in their state. It's like they're trying to beat the Republicans at their own game. And it shouldn't be surprising that Colorado made this kind of decision. Every member of the state's Supreme Court was appointed by a Democratic governor, while the U.S. Supreme Court is the absolute opposite, with two-thirds Republican supermajority. But there is also a caveat to this in Colorado, in which the governor does not have total free reign to choose their justices. By the way, I wrote does snot, and that just totally threw me off. Snot! Anyway, the Colorado governor does not have free reign to just choose whoever they want to be on their Supreme Court, and they actually have to choose a new justice from a short list of names that were provided to them by a nonpartisan commission. So this means that Democratic governors can't just pick their own loyalists, per se, but they can veto candidates who are viewed as being too sympathetic to the Republican Party. However, there are a few problems with this decision that we are going to be running into. It is a little hasty and could very well be overturned. While many can, correctly in my opinion, argue that Trump was the one to incite the insurrection, he has not been taken to trial yet, and so it has not been determined what his true culpability is under a court of law. In this case, it's likely that the decision will be overturned on appeal. But this whole situation could arise again if the prosecutors charging Trump with attempting to steal the 2020 election is successful. Colorado's decision was four to three, 
which means that even in a court where Republicans played a very minor role in selecting its judges, they still split almost down the middle as to whether or not Trump should be removed from the ballot. It wasn't all across the board, yes. And this is most likely due to the murkiness of whether or not legally Donald Trump incited the insurrection. Legal proof is different than opinion. And I hate to say it, but Trump also has a strong argument that he was denied adequate due process in Colorado's court system. It's messy, and I really hate that Trump has this over Colorado, but I kind of agree. In the one dissenting opinion from Justice Carlos Samor, he writes that the expediated process that the Colorado justice system took part of lacked, quote, basic discovery, the ability to subpoena documents and compel witnesses, and workable timeframes to adequately investigate and develop defenses. So they didn't make it airtight. They left some loopholes available for people to argue this and didn't take the time to get enough witnesses and evidence, so on and so forth, that is needed in this sort of legal proceeding in order for it not to be attacked. If you're going to play the game, you got to do it right and make sure you've prepared for legal loopholes. But hey, I'm no lawyer. Until now, this expedited process was used in an election when it was closely looming, and the issues at hand were much more straightforward than Trump's case, such as whether or not a candidate meets residency requirements for a school board election, not whether or not the former president of the United States incited an attack on our democracy. So, yeah, obviously, I agree with Colorado's decision to use their power to take Trump off the ballot for 2024. But... I wish they had gone through due process, taken their time to build a really strong case and maybe wait for more of Trump's other legal cases to move forward to ensure that this decision stuck. Maybe then other states would jump on the bandwagon and decide to make similar decisions. And just maybe, Trump will end up being held responsible for his actions in 2020 and 2021. But since he has literally armed himself with all U.S. Supreme Court justices who kiss his ass— Will a conviction even stick? But the argument that Trump should be disqualified from office is also pretty straightforward if you ask me. He was the president, an office that required him to swear that he would, quote, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. He woefully broke this oath by inciting his followers into a violent attack on the Capitol. And he had the power to stop it whenever he wanted, but he let it go on and on, letting so many people get hurt. He didn't care. In this case, I truly do hope that he is held responsible for the insurrection. And then maybe Colorado could go through this process again if it is broken on appeal. However, I think this is a really great plan of attack and something that I wasn't even aware of. If all of these states could join together and agree not to put him on the ballot, could we just win that way? <laughs> That'd be great. So we shall continue to wait and see. I will definitely keep you all updated either on the made feed or Patreon as to what happens with the Colorado decision and Trump's court cases, etc. Any main news will definitely be on the main news episodes, though. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, 
During Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, since my week has been a little bit of a downer, when I saw a video on Instagram discussing this topic that I'm going to get into right now, it put a pretty big smile on my face. And I hope this conversation does the same for you. A Senate staffer, who I'm just going to call by his first name, Aiden, who worked for Senator Bill Cardin of Maryland, has been accused of filming himself having sex in a congressional hearing room. He has since been fired and is threatening legal action. The explicit footage showed two men having sex in what appears to be room Heart 216, the Judiciary Room, which has actually hosted some very important hearings, such as the 9-11 Commission's hearings. In October 2001, the then-Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle received an anthrax-laced letter in that room in relation to the 9-11 hearings. The room also saw Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor become the first Latina to attend nomination hearings for the nation's highest court in 2009. So this isn't just some, like, regular old meeting room. This has some pretty historical significance to it. Business Insider has pointed out that the deed seemed to have been taken place in the left corner of the dais, the spot which is normally occupied by Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, the third highest-ranking Democrat in the committee. The tape is now being referred to as the Senate sex tape, and it's gone viral all over the internet, on all social media platforms. It was initially published by The Daily Caller, a conservative media company, but it was unclear where the video came from or how it was made public, as The Daily Caller reported that they had gotten the video in a shared private group for gay men in politics. What I wouldn't pay to be part of that group chat. Jesus Christ, that sounds amazing. On LinkedIn, Aiden seems to have acknowledged the incident and posted that he was being, quote, attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. But I don't know if the problem here is that you're gay, my friend, but that you had sex at your job, which happens to be at a very important place to our country's government. I think they would have an issue with that if you were fucking a lady, too. He goes on to write, While some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment, you can say that again, 
I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. However, sir, it seems that you might have done that. I find it hilarious. I really do. I do not clutch my pearls at things like this. Who the fuck cares? People have sex at work all the time, I am sure. But the fact that it got leaked onto the internet and all of this stuff is going on, you know, maybe maybe rein it back a little bit. And in the first video that I saw of this, they kind of made it seem like it was supposed to be this sort of like revengeful action, like the gay sex he was having in this hearing room was somehow like a fuck you to the anti-LGBTQ legislation that's been going on for so long, which would be great, but I don't think that's exactly what he was going for. I'm not sure. But I want to talk about Aiden's boss, Ben Cardin, for a moment, because this poor man, he has been in politics for so long, and he seems like he is such a highly revered, highly respected and loved member of our government that I'm like, oh, poor dude. So Ben Cardin is a member of the Democratic Party, and he has been serving as senator since 2007. Before that, he was a U.S. representative for Maryland from 1987 to 2007. But before that, he was on the House of Delegates from 1967 to 1987, acting as their speaker from 1979 to 1987. So this dude's resume is thick. And I also love that, for the most part, his timings for when he was at each job is very specific by sevens. Started working as a senator in 2007. Representative for Maryland from 87 to 2007. House of Delegates, 67 to 87. Interesting. I wonder what his lucky number is. Cardin was the youngest person to ever hold the position of speaker at the House of Delegates. And in his half-century career as an elected official, get this, he has never lost an election. Jesus Christ. So this guy is super beloved. So the reactions from his co-workers have been that of shock, horror, and some humor. Ben Cardin, him ben Cardin himself is rightfully angry about his now former staffer performing sex in a Senate committee hearing room. He declined to go further into details about Aiden himself, but he expressed his displeasure, telling reporters that he saw what he did as a, quote, breach of trust. He also added that he had not talked to the staffer, who, like I said, Cardin did not name, but noted that the staffer had not apologized. Other lawmakers have taken a more humorous approach to the incident, including Senator Joe Manchin, who jokingly scolded those staking out the staffer, saying, leave that beautiful man alone. <laughs> I don't like Joe Manchin, but I fucking love that. Leave that beautiful man alone. Let him fuck who he pleases where he pleases. Jesus Christ. Senator John Neely Kennedy wondered if the chamber was, quote, locking its doors now. He asked, do we still lock the Senate doors at night? We do? Thanks. Oh, my God. So while clearly this was very offensive to many, many people, I find it pretty funny and harmless, to be honest. I would probably be more like Joe Manchin or John Neely Kennedy in this situation and make some sort of little joke about it because, my gosh, it is hilarious. So I hope that that little story brought you some levity into your week as well. And the last thing that I want to do for this episode is talk about some Santa 
elf Christmas holiday miracle stories. I never came up with exactly what I wanted to call this. And I really messed up because I was going to put some question things up on the stories on Instagram for you to be able to directly reply to. But I only did that this morning. I really screwed up and didn't give you all time to actually respond. So I did just get one email. And then I also I'm just going to share a little bit of my own experience as well. So this is from Sydney. Hi, I don't have much of a story, so this is pretty short. Basically, my entire childhood, my very Christian and poor young mother never let us, me and my siblings, believe in Santa Claus. Me and my older brother were in daycare before we started school, and we would always tell kids that Santa isn't real, and my mom had to stop us from ruining it for family friends. My brother even once went to a Santa Claus, probably from the mall, and told him he was an imposter. I mean, yes, even if you do believe in Santa, the mall Santas are certainly imposters. Oh, this is funny. They wrote in parentheses, he hadn't seen the elf movie. (laughs) It also kind of reminds me of that scene in The Sopranos where they're celebrating Christmas at the deli or whatever, and one of the kids sits on Santa's lap and just goes, fuck you, Santa. With her being poor and also very, very young, she wanted us to know that our presence came from her, and as such, to be grateful. I'm not bitter, but I did always wish I had been allowed to believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny for that classic childhood holiday experience. Have a happy holidays, Sydney. Oh, Sydney, darling. (laughs) I mean, part of that I think is really wonderful. And I completely understand where your mom is coming from because she worked really, really hard to be able to get you those presents and for you to turn around and thank some mystical creature would suck. She's like, no, we, we work hard for things in life. And this is me, you know, working hard and giving you a present in return. It's not from Santa. It's from mama. And I think especially coming from a family that doesn't have as much means There is a little bit of a different understanding when it comes to the magic of Christmas. I always wondered for kids who didn't come from wealthy families that would be like, why do some kids get really nice and expensive toys and I don't? Why do some kids get tons and tons of presents under the tree and I maybe just get one? When we're younger, those really aren't things that we think about. I know for myself, I grew up in a pretty well-off family. We're not as well-off anymore, but I never had to want for anything. And I knew that Christmas morning, Santa was going to totally show up for me. And I never even had to consider what other kids went through. So in a lot of ways, I really respect what your mom did. And I think that that was probably a really good choice for you and your family. But on the other side of things, it does kind of suck that you weren't able to have that Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny sort of experience. But I'm growing to find that a lot of people's experiences with these things differ and they vary. It doesn't make anyone's experience better or worse than another's because we don't need Santa Claus or Elf on the Shelf or any of those other things to make this time special and magical. To me, the magic is just everything surrounding it. It's this aura for some reason that Christmas gives. And for myself, I've really felt like I've lacked that for so long. I don't see any of the family members that I used to spend Christmas with anymore. They don't talk to me. They think that I am a crazy feminist bitch, which is true. And I also don't speak with my dad. So the Christmases that I've had as an adult have looked nothing like my Christmases as a child, which was something that has taken me over a decade to make peace with. 
And I feel so thankful and so blessed that I have now chosen my family, and that is essentially Max's parents, and that I have my mom as well, who has an amazing boyfriend who is the father of my favorite skating coach growing up, and I finally have this weird blended family situation going on with in-laws and the rest. So for anyone out there who is maybe feeling a little bit down this holiday season and they don't feel that magic anymore, just give it time and do some nice things for yourself. Give yourself a nice little present or drink some yummy hot chocolate and also start making some new traditions and know that everything is going to work out in the end. I've spent a lot of Christmas Eves and Christmas Days crying. I've spent some alone. I've spent some in treatment centers away from my family entirely. And life goes on. And there are always going to be more happy Christmases to come. Since I don't have any more messages from listeners, I decided to share with you all some of my favorites regarding the holidays. My favorite Christmas songs, of course, Number one has to be Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, specifically by Judy Garland. I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but just in case you forgot, that song was actually written for the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, and if you haven't seen it, you better get your asses in front of the TV right now and watch that movie because, oh my gosh, it is my favorite next to The Wizard of Oz. And her version is also superior because it has the original lyrics and a lot of other people have changed them to take out the word gay and to make it seem a little bit less depressing. But fuck it. I like the original. Keep it the way it is. Strangely, my other favorite Christmas song is I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas because it makes me smile every time and I like to sing it. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Oh, it's fucking great. Okay, anyway, Dorothy's looking at me like I'm insane. I'm sorry, Dorothy. I didn't mean to do that. I did, but I'm sorry. Okay, favorite Christmas movies. I love The Grinch. I love both the original cartoon version and I love the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch. So good. My other favorite Christmas movies as an adult would be Home Alone and Christmas Vacation. Both of those movies I did not see until adulthood. And it's funny because my mom recently in the last few years was like, you hadn't seen Home Alone until you were that old. And I was like, it's your fault. Like, you're the mother. You should have turned it on for me. But as a kid, I was super into all of the classics. Like if you know that three movie box set that you can get where it's like Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that was my shit, as well as It's a Wonderful Life, because I was a dramatic-as-fuck child. I actually haven't seen it in years because I feel like it would be rather depressing. It is a bit of a downer, if I recall. But this morning when I was talking about it, Max told me he had never seen it. And I'm like, well, we have to watch it now. My favorite Christmas presents of all time. Well, the first has to be my figure skates, which my aunt and uncle gave me for my third Christmas. And they were so cute. They had these little like orangish red, I think, pom-poms on the toe. I'm remembering red. And it had sparkly red guards on the blades. And I love them. They're perfect. And that was the start of my skating love and career. And my second favorite present I mentioned recently on this show when I was talking about when I discovered that my mom was actually Santa, and that was my baby doll, Gracie, that looked and felt 
like a real baby. I was obsessed with that thing for way longer than I should have been. And then lastly, I have a couple of Christmas memories that I really love. And when I think back into my childhood, what I remember mostly is being unbelievably bored having to go to mass at my aunt and uncle's church and just waiting, being like, I know there's presents for me at home and I just want to get to them. And going back to their house and having a huge dinner and singing songs and the piano and opening presents and playing with my little cousins once they came along. I loved Haggerty Christmases growing up. They were so, so great. And then another great Christmas memory of mine, I don't think it was on actual Christmas. It might have been the week before, but when I was in high school, I brought my high school boyfriend Carl with me to celebrate an early Christmas, I believe, with my family. And we ended up getting snowed in. So they set up like an air mattress in the basement for Carl and I to stay on, which I was like, awesome. Like I'm 16 and my cousin is setting up a bed for me and my boyfriend. Fabulous. Love this. And because I have such toxic masculinity in my family, my uncle, who is like a school principal, hockey legend, tough ass guy, he's also a hockey referee now, and my cousin Chad, who is a police chief in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, felt the need to just like walk across the basement randomly before we went to sleep to try to like catch us doing something wrong which was hilarious because both of us were so well behaved and didn't really do anything and honestly if I'm going to give you the facts here 98% sure he's gay pretty sure he's gay we weren't going to do anything but that was a really fun holiday memory for me and my favorite Christmas memory as an adult for sure was Two years ago now, when Max and I went to Sun Valley, Idaho to spend Christmas with my mom, we drove with both girls all the way from California to Sun Valley, and it was so beautiful. It was cold, but it was so beautiful and snowing a lot. So we had had a meal with my mom earlier on Christmas Day, and then that night we were like, oh, we'll just like order Chinese or a pizza or something. Like something's got to be open, right? No. Nothing was open in this little mountain town. Absolutely nothing. And certainly nothing for delivery because a blizzard had started. But Max and I couldn't just not eat. So we decided to go to this hamburger place bar situation called Grumpy's, which if you've ever been to Sun Valley, you know it and you know it's amazing. And oh my gosh, I, I can't believe that we made it there and back alive. It was blizzarding and I could barely see through the windshield. I did the driving because I've driven through snow much more than Max has. We finally made it to Grumpy's and we parked and like literally just heaps of snow feel like they're falling on us. This is not like a light snowfall and inside the bar is packed and at this point we're still kind of getting out of COVID times and so Max and I are like I don't know if I really want to sit in this super packed bar and eat all this food or whatever and they had an outhouse right outside the bar that you would use for like fishing and things like that on a lake and they had built that up for outdoor seating in the summer or even in the fall and spring I bet it's wonderful but it was freezing and Max and I got these huge beers like the size of our heads and hamburgers and were just wrapped in so many layers eating outside in the freezing cold and struggled to get home but we made it there safely and that just that has to be one of my favorite 
favorite Christmas memories ever. Okay, well, now that I have said all of that, I want to remind all of you that I am having a sort of feminist miss giveaway situation through Patreon. So anyone who joins between now and January 1st, along with all of my patrons that have been with me since day one, I can't forget you either, will receive a little card and a handmade gift from me during the month of January You can join either level, the Angry Feminist Book Club, which will soon be Mad Gavin with Madigan, or the Feminist Faves level. Either works for me. Your love and support is the biggest gift that I could possibly ask for this holiday season. So thank you, and I want to give you some love and gifts in return. To join Patreon, go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist. Click the link in the show notes or click the link in my bio on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. Lastly, but surely not least, like you don't give me enough. If you haven't left a review yet, I would greatly, greatly appreciate you going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. Those Apple Podcast reviews are just so unbelievably helpful, so I really appreciate it. But I know that a lot of you like to listen on Spotify, so I won't be mad if you want to rate me over there as well. Okay, that's all I have for you today. I will see you all on Monday with my pre-recorded part two episode of Polygamy and the Patriarchy as a beautiful Christmas present to you all. But for those of you who are already members of Patreon, the Feminist Faves level already has that episode available to them. So if you cannot wait until Monday or your family is driving you nuts and you need a little bit more polygamy talk, just go to Patreon and listen to the episode there. All right, I have a crying dog. That means that I got to be done with what I'm doing. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Happy holidays. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Greetings, fantasy fans and adventure aficionados. I'm your host, Kip Killigan, and to my left is the legendary Stormclad Thundertongue. Uh, who in the hell's put sleeves on my suit? Join us every Monday to watch teams of heroes rise through the ranks of the League of Ultimate Questing. We're serving up a double-decker high fantasy blood sport burger with all the comedy fixins and no napkins. Bring a bib, because things are going to get messy. Visit the LUQ.com or wherever your favorite podcasts are available. No dungeon too deep, no quest too questionable. This is the League of Ultimate Questing. And now a word from our sponsors. One out of four barbarians over 30 suffer from tile dysfunction. I can't keep it up like I used to. That's why there's Viagra for rage enhancement. Ask your party cleric if Viagra is right for you. Contact an apothecary for any rages lasting more than four hours. Viagra. We keep you raging hard on the battlefield.